0: So, 7,000. 7,000 is around the average number of words a person speaks each day. Now, if you have a toddler, it might be more like there's five words that they speak 7,000 or more times. 7,000 words. And the question becomes... What do you say with those 7,000 words? Do you say things that are uplifting? Or do you say things that cut people? Researchers say that probably 70 to 80% of our waking hours are spent communicating in some fashion. We, I, nature, were created to be in community with people, and so we communicate often. And so if I was to ask you this, in the average day or week, what do you spend your time doing, thinking about, or saying, what would you tell me? Real, think about it for just a moment. Now, maybe some of you this morning, like me, got your little notification from Apple to tell you that you're a terrible person and you spent six hours uh, per day screen time. And you could be able to tell me, okay, I spent this many hours on Facebook. I spent this many time, this much time in my Bible app, but this long on the phone. If you were to do an audit over the last week of the things that you said, the activities you engaged in, the things that you searched, posted, what would that tell people about your life? We're in this series called Your Future Self Will Thank You. And we've been looking at this idea of how habits, holiness, and the Holy Spirit can transform our lives. And we've been trying to explore how can we become not better versions of ourselves, but how can we become people who look, act more like Jesus? How do we become more and more like Jesus and how can we live a life that pushes others to experience the love of Christ as well. And in the past couple weeks, we've talked about a couple of different things. We've talked about prayer. How prayer, which is communication with God, is so important. Because in a world in which our attention is a commodity, and we're pulled in all sorts of different directions, prayer helps us center our attention on Jesus. And Jesus changes everything. And then last week, we talked about... Changing our mindset, how we think. We talked about how you think and what you think about will determine who you become and what you do. That if you want to know how you're going to go in life, you have to think about how are you thinking and what are you thinking about. Because those are going to determine who you become and what you do. This morning, we're going to talk about what we consume. And in particular, we're going to talk about words. Words that we speak and words that we allow to come inside into our brain. You have a Bible this morning you can open up to the book of James. James was the brother of Jesus. And James, uh, his book is kind of like a sucker punch to you. It's like, anyone else ever need like a good sucker punch every once in a while to get your mind right? James will do that for you. And in James chapter 3, James puts the idea of communication and in particular how we talk in really great language, I think. He says this. He's talking about uh, the tongue. He's talking about how we speak. He says, when we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship as example. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue... Is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small star, by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. It's true. It takes one comment that we wish we could get back. Have you ever noticed that there are three people in this world who will always be honest with you. Kids. Anyone ever had a kid tell them what they really thought? It's awful, usually. Every once in a while, they're great and they pick you up. But more often than not, it's, why do you look so bad? Daddy, why do you smell? Kids have this beautiful lack of filter. Secondly, intoxicated people. Anyone ever gotten a call in the middle of the night? When I was uh, in school, I was uh, one of the few sort of people in my graduating class who uh, people kind of knew I was a follower of Jesus. They knew I was going to school for ministry. And so I feel like that was their way of saying, all right, when I have kind of had a crazy night and I'm feeling like my guard's down, I will call Aaron to have a little bit of a counseling session. It's interesting how much people will be pretty honest with you. Not saying that's a good thing or that you should do that, by the way. But the filter's down. And finally, angry people. Angry people. Now, again, we hope that sometimes uh, we don't really mean some of the things that we say. But if we're really honest, sometimes there are things that we don't want to say to someone that come out when we're angry. We have resentment that we never really want to talk about in a healthy way. And as soon as there is tension, this comes out. Now I'm sure obviously everyone in this room is probably better than me and probably has never done that before. But there's that tension maybe in your marriage where you don't want to rock the boat and say it, but as soon as the fight begins to be on the gloves are off let me tell you how i really feel and we hope in some ways that i recognize that there are times that we say things that we don't really feel but at the same part in some ways when we say those things there has to be a little bit of a hint of a truth whether they're really true or not there's something that is inside of us that we kind of believe so this morning i want to talk about what do we do with this stuff How do we watch our words and how do we figure out how to better set ourselves up for success? In Proverbs chapter 4, it says this. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mind, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, said this. He says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have ever spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Our words matter. Our words, in a lot of ways, are a window into our heart. We recognize as followers of Jesus that we, let's just be real, we're messed up. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In this side of heaven, we got junk inside of us. And we hope every day that God is helping us deal with that junk, but we have that junk. And the issue can become is oftentimes we like to compartmentalize our lives. We want to be waffles. We want to have little sections of our lives. Here's this, here's that. Here's where I work, here's my family, here's um, maybe my relationship with Jesus, here's my interests, here's my hobbies, here's maybe the one thing I definitely don't want anyone to know about me. And we want them to be separate. But that's not how life works. You see, what's inside of us, if there is evil inside of us, if there's brokenness and sin in our lives... It will spill out, even if it doesn't feel like they're connected. You may say, the thing that I do in secret has nothing to do with my marriage. Yet it all connects. May I tell you this, what you consume will consume you. You know, the adage of you are what you eat is actually kind of true. Technically, what you eat does kind of make up the nutrients that go into your body and kind of form how you're doing. And so it does sort of make sense. You are what you eat. But what you consume will consume you. So what do you spend your time on? What does consume your life? I asked before if you were to kind of do an audit. What, 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 what do you spend your time watching, reading? Who do you spend your time with? What do you listen to? Because it will shape you and consume you. If you are a person who constantly is consuming the latest news cycle, can I tell you what I guarantee you probably will become? Cynical and depressed. If you're a person who reads nothing, though, who keeps up with nothing going on in our world, I can guarantee you're going to be aloof, unresponsive towards justice. You are a byproduct of the things that you consume. It's crazy. I was doing some research on this, and I don't mean to pick on anyone in here, so I don't think I'm picking on anyone. But there's a research project that was done uh, on on men in the United States, and it said this: by the age 21, the average man in America will have played 10,000 hours of video games. There's some research out there on this idea that 10,000 hours is sort of this benchmark where oftentimes if you do something for 10,000 hours, you kind of become an expert or it just sort of becomes just natural thing of who you are. 10,000 hours. Now, I'm not going to pick on just boys. Can you guess how much the average American spends on social media per year? That number, again, this is average, 705 hours, which roughly estimates to about two hours per day. Now again, that's on the average. There's the, that's people who also don't do it at all and people who are constantly on it. What about the number of hours people watch TV? 2,737 hours, estimating to over six hours per day. Now, There's more research out there, so I don't want to just pick on boys, and I know girls play video games too. But it got me thinking, what do we do with our lives? You know, Jesus said, again, someday we're going to have to give an account for the words we said and the things that we did. And if we were to just sort of do an account of what we're doing with our lives today, what is consuming us, what would it be? I think far too many people who grow up in the church, who know Jesus, we get really focused on this idea of not doing bad things, okay? So we're very much in the mindset of like, okay, not going to murder anyone, check. Um, Not going to commit adultery, check, got it. Um, I'll go to church, okay, we're good. And we kind of do these base layer things, and yet, Honestly, I wonder if at the end of time, if God is going to be more saddened and brokenhearted, not by the bad things that we did, but the good or neutral things that we allowed to consume our lives that kept us from doing the good that God wanted us to do. And more importantly, that kept us from truly just connecting with him. Now again, this isn't me saying... Video games or TV or social media are bad in themselves or that they're wrong. But the question becomes, are we allowing some of those things to dictate our lives? If you were to do the screen time little inventory, how does your amount of screen time match up with your time of, of prayer or serving? Uh, I'll just be honest, mine is off the charts overwhelmingly on the screen time and not just work. Most of us would say, but Aaron, I don't have enough time. Isn't it crazy how people say that? But then when you start to realize these statistics of how much time we spend watching TV or playing video games or doing things like that, no, 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 we don't want to make enough time. For most of us, one of our issues is just this. We prioritize our life really poorly. I know I do. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, Jesus just said this. He said, no good tree bears bad fruits, nor does a bad tree bear good fruits. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick fig trees from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil things stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What does your heart speak? If I was to ask your loved ones, if we were to look at your phone, your search engine on your computer or tablet. What does your heart speak? Does it speak life, death, or is it just sort of neutral? You see, I believe that who you follow will kind of determine who you're going to become. Researchers say that typically the... Five people you spend the most time with will shape and influence your life the most. Who's influencing your life right now? One of those questions, whenever I hear that, is always, if I was trying to be really honest with myself, would Jesus make the top five there? Am I spending enough time with Jesus? Am I consistently seeking him enough to really authentically say, he's one of my top five. You see, our our lives primarily are the result of the choices that we make. Now, there's obviously, there's circumstances that we can't affect. Some of our medical stuff, we can't affect that. Our family of origin, you don't get to choose the family you grow up in. But there are so many choices along the way that we have the opportunity to make. For many of us, myself very much included, the question becomes, when do we begin to take responsibility for our lives? To not make excuses, but to really just start engaging the life that God has called us. To. Because typically, if we do the audit of our lives, we recognize that we're probably wasting a lot of time. And it's not really making us feel full, or alive. Typically, if anything, do you know what, I realize, what I've realized in my own life that it does? It's distracting me. It's distracting me from pain that I don't want to deal with in my life. It's distracting me from doing the good that God has called me to, that I'm afraid to do. And it's just keeping me from just allowing God to sit with me. Because you know what I'm kind of most afraid about? I'm most afraid if I sit long enough with God, is he going to find the junk in my life that I think I can hide from him, which I can't? And will he be disappointed? Here's the good news if maybe you're asking the same question. God loves you right where you are. He knows the things that you struggle with. But he also loves you far too much to leave you exactly where you are that he desires for transformation to happen for you because he wants to see you experience new life and he wants you to experience good fruit. He wants what is stored up inside of you to come out and for it to be good fruit. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said this in chapter 8. He says, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the lights, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out in the open. Therefore, carefully consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has been given more, or whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even though they think they do, will have it taken away from them. What does that mean? It means this. Our life is fully connected. And though we think we can do things in secret, though we think that there are aspects of our lives that don't really matter, that aren't connected to those things, quit playing with yourself. Quit pretending that if you are dealing with lust, that it doesn't translate into your marriage. Quit thinking that if you have a shopping issue, that it doesn't Play into the marriage that you have. Quit thinking that uh, the people that you surround yourself with don't affect who you are and what you're becoming. Quit thinking that doing certain things in, in, in disciplining or uh, helping uh, give guidelines to your children are going to send them far away from you. Take control. We we have to begin to recognize the fact that that anything that we do, both actively or passively. It's not hidden forever. It someday will come out. Now, it may not come out in a public fashion for everyone to see, but the God of all the universe knows. He knows. Now, the really great news is just this. This is the beauty of grace. That when we seek out God and we seek forgiveness, He wipes it clean. There's no longer this list of the things that we did. But here's what I worry about for some people. Because I know I've done this in my life. There are sins that I'm willing to confess to God for Him to forgive me. But there's some stuff still, at least in my past, that I was too prideful to ask for forgiveness. My hope is that I could bury it. In fact I spent a lot of time in my teenage years, my early twenties, where there would be sin in my life that in some ways it'd be like it was a bomb. And my whole thought was, All right, here's what I'll do. I'll bury the bomb, put it here, because honestly, if people knew I had a bomb in my life, they'd think about me differently. But can you imagine what happened? The bomb would still explode the sin would still come back. Let me just tell you this. You will never have victory over a sin till you confess it to God first. You have to begin with seeking that. Now, let's get weird for a second. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus did a pretty interesting teaching in chapter 18, and he said this. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter your life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. What a beautiful, like, who wouldn't want to just lead off Meeting like your, your friends who don't know Jesus. Hey, let me tell you my favorite Bible verse, Matthew eighteen eight and 9. If your arm causes you to sin, just cut it off. That doesn't sound weird at all or not. So why does Jesus say this? I think Jesus said this in some ways as a shock value to get our attention. But I think he's also saying it with a very real important lesson. He's recognizing the seriousness of the one life that we live. He's recognizing the fact that, get this, the brokenness that we have in our life actually matters. And that oftentimes, he has a great plan for us to experience victory over it, but oftentimes, it's going to become this thing where we might have to do extreme measures. And so when he says, hey, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, that might sound really harsh. But I think what we forget is we our initial thing goes to, that's weird. Ow. But also, well, why can't we just try something else? And I think what Jesus is trying to get at is just this seriousness of, if your goal and your hope is to just be fully in his presence, if your goal and your hope is to experience new life and have an eternity with him, is it really worth having an extra hand if in the end you don't get to spend eternity with him? And in the same way, today I think Jesus, maybe rather than teaching like that, may say something like this. Is it... And he may say, because again, a hand, an eye aren't bad things, right? So he may say this. If... Your sports league causes you to sin. Cut it off. Cut it out of your schedule. Because it's better to know me and to be with your family than to miss out on it all. He might say, it's better for you to get rid of that credit card. It's better for you to delete that app. It's better for you to just not put yourself in this situation. And you can fill in the blank for whatever you whatever's going on in your life. But I know for me, most of the time, when there's sin, there's temptation, there's brokenness in my life, my hope is like, how can I inch forward and do the least amount of life change but hopefully maybe experience a changed life? And we realize that's that's not how it works. You know, someone who was an alcoholic, they can't say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start by just drinking like, you know, a couple drinks less over time. And maybe someday I'll go culture. No, no, you, you, you have to take these extreme measures. Someone who's dealing with a pornography addiction, it's probably not good to be like, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll still let you have this amount of time, or hey, you can still have access to these things. A person with a spending problem probably isn't a good idea for them to have a credit card no one knows about. So the question becomes for a lot of us is, is there something we really need to do in our lives that might even seem extreme, but we recognize that if we want to experience the extreme grace of Jesus, we want to experience an extremely new transformed life, maybe we need to do something extreme. That if we keep on doing the same thing, it's going to keep producing the same result. It's sort of like a football team. If they run the same play over and over And over, guess what? The defense is going to know what they're going to run. Pick a new play if you want a different result. Let me wrap this up. Part of the tagline of this series is, is about holiness. And, you know, holiness is this idea about being set apart, not perfect. May I tell you, just the best way to practice holiness is just to give your heart solely to Jesus. As you reprioritize your life... Begin first by asking, how can I make sure that I'm giving my heart solely to Jesus in this moment? In Ezekiel chapter 36, this is an Old Testament book. This is a prophecy. And and, and I love the verbiage of this from the message. It just says this. I'll pour pure water over you. Scrub your heart clean. I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you, and I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. In Jesus, that that, that prophecy comes true. That the God of all the universe wants to give you a new heart. He wants to give you a new life. And he wants to put his spirit inside of you. To help you experience a life of holiness, not of perfection, not of control, but a life that frees you from the bondage and the sin in the prison that your sin and your off kiltered priorities are currently putting you in. Because when our priorities are off, when we're distant from God, at least in my own life, that's when I feel depressed. That's when I feel anxious When I feel extra worried, it's because my identity is no longer in my identity in Christ. My identity becomes in just myself. That's a bad place. Friends, think of Jesus, speak of Jesus, and speak to Jesus. I want you to stand as we're going to sing one last song. And I want to challenge you with one thing. In, inside your journal, if you haven't got a journal already, make sure you uh, get one. These are awesome. Uh, but but in this week, one of the things that they're going to ask you to think about doing is to pick a word for the year. This is a practice that some people uh, do. I've done myself. I'm still trying to figure out what my word is for this year. But it's you pick one word, and rather than picking a bunch of resolutions, you pick a word to think about, dwell about, and ask God to come through on it. In, in different years, I've had the word abide. I've had the word uh, no. I've had the word rest. Whatever it may be, think about what that is and allow that to help just permeate your mind to just think on the goodness of God. In Psalm 19, it just says this. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you again for just who you are. And I thank you for, God, the fact that our sin does not define us. That, God, our successes don't define us. But, God, your grace defines us. God, I pray for some of us that maybe this morning we had to receive some harsh truth. Come face to face with how we're living our lives. God, I pray that we don't have to bring shame or guilt into that. But, God, that we do have conviction that leads the heart and life change. God, would we know that you are with us, that you're for us, and God, you want to give us a new heart. So God, give us wisdom, give us accountability to make the changes in our lives that we need to do so we can live in the freedom and the grace and the hope of your son, Jesus. It's in his name I pray.